Anybody ever had a moment in your life, maybe on your way to church, when the person you see in the mirror does not reflect the person you know you are? Anybody? Right? The fight with the wife last night, the guy who pulled in front of you and you snapped. You ever had a moment in your life when you're like, that's not me. That's not the real me. That's a version of me that I don't particularly love, but it's not me. And yet, we're tempted to believe. We see it in other people's reactions, and our first response is, well, that is the real you. You must be a jerk, right? Because that's what you did. You did a jerky thing. You cut me off. You must be, and fill in the blank. What I'm beginning to understand about how God made us. So often we'll see in other people a reaction and we'll assume that's who they really are, but it's not. Any more than that reaction is really you. Learning that my reactions oftentimes are tied to something in my past, right? I'm tied to something I experienced at one point in my life and I react. And the real me is that person that comes to try to clean it up afterwards and feels really sad. And, you know, our journey with Jesus is trying to clean up some of that mess, those traumas, that stuff, so that I can live more like that person I know that I am, that he made me to be. This is why Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came to give you life, life that's full. Like there's this version of you, you know that's there and you haven't always experienced it. And yet the journey with Jesus opens up the possibility that maybe we can be more of the person he thought up and less of all like my hangups and my past and my traumas. And maybe the journey to the cross will heal those things to such an extent that what you see when you cut me off really does look like Jesus. Amen. Well, here's what I found. Here's what I found. What we're going to speak on and and, and what I'm going to talk about this morning is one of the most powerful tools on the journey toward that. If you are new with us, then you may not know that this year we have dedicated the entire year to walking through the book of Luke and Acts, two books in the New Testament written by the same author that documents Jesus' life and the early church. And um, we're just asking each week journey along. We're in Luke chapter 11, And each week will, next week will be 12. And here's your call to action. Go home, read that chapter this week, and then find somebody to discuss what you're reading. Deal? All right, well, I'm going to take my glasses off because I'm too cheap to buy bifocals. And I don't want to admit that I'm getting old. But I am going to read from Luke chapter 11, the passage we're going to be in this morning that I think is going to help us understand this journey towards what God has for us. It says this in verse 1, One day Jesus is praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Just as John has taught his disciples. So then Jesus said to them, and he goes to quote what is one of the most 
foundational passages, most important passages to the Christian church we have. I would put it next to the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed. It is the Lord's Prayer. And here's what he says. When you pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus goes on to tell a parable about prayer. Verse 5 through 9 through 8 is a parable, but he ends the parable with this important phrase about prayer. It's all connected. When he says, so, I've showed you how to pray. I've told you a story about prayer. Let me button this up for you, disciple, and tell you what this means. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will Be open to you, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Prayer. An absolutely foundational component in the Christian walk, and dare I say, maybe one of those areas, even though it's so foundational, when asked, how's your prayer life? Most of you do what I do. Uh, what about the Cubs game, right? Like, it is one of those areas we know is foundational in the journey towards Jesus, and yet, so often, for so many reasons, we find ourselves in the same space that maybe the disciples found themselves. How am I supposed to do this? Let me give you a little bit of background about this moment, because I think it's key. You have to understand, these disciples that were following Jesus and asking about prayer would be Jewish kids who grew up with a pretty good context of what prayer was. So it sort of begs the question, why would these kids, who, remember, they grew up in a Jewish home where they would have probably prayed the Shema three times a day. They would have always experienced prayer in every facet of their life. The Shema is found in Deuteronomy. It's this ancient prayer that if you were Jewish, you would have prayed. Prayer was a normal, essential, frequent part of every Jewish person's life. And yet, here are these disciples who are following a rabbi and they're asking the most obvious question, one that probably has already been answered in practicality because they've been around prayer their whole life. And yet they're standing there going, I don't think I know how to pray. Rabbi, will you teach me how you do what you do? Because what you do, it is... Way different. I think so often, both in Jesus' day and our day, prayer is seen primarily as a transactional performance that we just do if we have to, right? Now, prayer is something that all Christians are aware of. In fact, There was some research done just recently. 79% of all American adults said, all American adults, not just Christians, 79% have said they prayed at least one time in the last three months, right? So, I mean, it's not like it's such a foreign concept, even to those of you that maybe this is the first time you've ever walked into a church. And I'm reminded of 
how ubiquitous the practice is because when I was in fourth grade, I saw this firsthand. I was in fourth grade when I grew up in Granite City, Illinois, still mill town outside of St. Louis. And one summer we were going to Six Flags and it was like a group trip and I got to bring a buddy. Now I brought my best friend in the whole wide world, Mike. Fourth grade, Mike grew up in a home that had never gone to church. He, he knew nothing of the Bible or anything that I would have grown up with. And those of you that maybe attended Sunday school would know, he knew none of these things. And yet, I found something interesting that happened along the way. We, we went to the first roller coaster, and Mike had never been to Six Flags. He didn't tell me that. So I could see sort of some trepidation in his eyes as we walked towards what was called the Jet Scream. Now, the Jet Scream was like a metal roller coaster with a loop-to-loop. You know what I'm talking about? One of those, right? So for me, man, I've been riding roller coasters. I'm like, Mikey, you want to go to the ro- Jet Scream? Of course, fourth grade boy, you don't, you're not going to be like, I've never ridden a roller coaster. You're not going to say that. So you show up, he shows up with me. We get into the roller coaster and, and it is sort of a fearful moment if you think about it, the noise that, every, you know, think about that. It's in and then all of a sudden it's like. And every little jerk, I heard him start to mumble something. I'm, he's like, and it got louder as we went up. And what I realized was he was saying Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. And what was first just utterings of God became an actual coherent prayer. This boy that knew nothing of church began to plead with God to get him off the roller coaster. <laughs> He's like, oh, God. I... If you get me off this roller coaster, I promise I'll never cuss, I'll never steal, I'll never look at bad things. I mean, he went deep. We get to the top, and as we went over the top, he said Jesus' name at least 50 times. I was convinced he got saved right then and there. (laughs) Fourth grade knows nothing of Jesus, and yet, there is something in us that understands that there is a way for us to commune with the transcendent, right? He knew that somehow he could call out to this God that he had never experienced in church and maybe this God would hear him. It says this in 1 John, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything, anything, According to his will, he hears us. It's built in us. We know. He hears us. And yet, why is it for so many of us, we are not in the regular practice of communing with the Almighty? Uh, Could be lots of reasons. We're naive to prayer. Or maybe the idea of silence freaks some of us out. Uh, Maybe it's because it feels like all I ever do when I pray is beg. In fact, um, the, the Latin term for the English word prayer is actually to beg. It's like, I don't know what the reason is that so many of us failed to walk in this fundamental practice of freedom... But many of us don't. And so I just want to 
talk briefly about how we might walk into this practice and experience something that will change your life if you'll surrender to the practice. I heard uh, a quote recently, for ancient quote from Aristotle. He said, you want to be a builder, build something. If you want to change your life, this is Eric speaking, learn to pray. What is it about prayer? How do we enter into this fundamental practice? Well, let me start by saying this. Much of what we understand about prayer is sort of messed up. In fact, much of what we do with our prayer life looks a lot like what Jesus said try to stay away from. We actually have treated prayer as a transactional moment of performance. Now think about it. If you grew up in a youth group, you know what I'm talking about. If you grew up in a youth group, always the moment that proved your spirituality or caused you an immense amount of fear was whenever everybody circled up and joined hands and it was time to pray and you knew you were going to have to pray, which meant you were going to have to give a speech, basically. Not to God, to everybody else in the circle. That's what prayer ended up being. It was just a speech. And so it makes a ton of sense that if prayer is just a transactional moment, that's just a bunch of words. Since most of us are afraid of public speaking, the idea of having some sort of speech with God feels crazy intimidating. Right? I don't know if I'm going to say the right things. What if I say the wrong things? See, if, if, if we were to think about that relationship with God only around the words we say... I think that would sort of be likened to saying all marriage is is a bunch of words that we say to one another. And any of you that have been married or in any relationship at all know that words are a foundational component of communicating, but that isn't the point of the marriage, to talk. That's what you go to a counselor for, right? Right? Marriage is more than that. There's something else going on, and it is the same with prayer. I think what I've learned in this last season that has really begun to change my heart is that prayer really does do two things if I let it, if I enter into it right, if I lose the transactional piece. In other words, I don't just come to God when I need something, and I don't view it as a speech. If instead, I treat it differently, something has begun to flip in my heart. I can tell you the first thing that I've begun to practice and it has changed my heart a ton. And that is not saying anything in prayer. So often, we bring a whole bunch of stuff into any particular moment, right? Like, do you know that, uh, this, this is a crazy thing, did you know that you have about 15,000 unique thoughts every single day? 15,000. That breaks down to about 938 thoughts every hour you're awake. So that's like 16 thoughts every minute. That means your brain is racing all the time, just stuff flowing through it. And that's when you're just chill, right? Like, you get under stress, Research would tell you, you might have 50,000 thoughts. And and that's just your mind. Add on top the life that we live. We got computers in our pocket, right? Buzzing, emails. Yesterday, gang, 
this is my life. I got, this is our last one, so I'm trying to do it well. And he decided to play a sport that they don't really play in these parts, which is lacrosse. So yesterday, I drove two hours and 45 minutes one way for a game. I was in Iowa. That's another state. (laughs) And this was my day. I woke up at 7. I got breakfast. We got in the car. We drove. It was games and tents and tear down and back in the car. This is every day of our lives. Does anybody feel like life is just passing you by? This is it, right? And so often it forces us to go into a default of survival. Now, this is what's interesting about the human brain. Same research will tell you that when your brain goes into default mode, that is like you just are in this rhythm. Four fundamental ways of thinking tend to prevail. That is fear, craving, aversion, and self-centeredness. This is our default mode when life is just going. Think about how many times you find yourself really feeling like anxious in any given moment for no given reason. You have no idea. You just feel it. That is because when we are in survival mode, which this is what the world is doing, it's not like it, you know, A couple thousand years ago, we were surviving to stay alive physically. Now we're surviving to stay alive mentally. Like it's zoom, 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 zoom. Never stops, never stops. The only rest you get is when you get up. And then you can't even get any rest there because all of us sleep with our phone on the nightstand. Why? I have no idea. So as soon as I wake up, the phone gets going and the whole thing starts over again. What are we doing? People, this is the power of prayer. An intentional moment set aside to get off of the roller coaster. That's it. A moment in the morning to just stop and slow down. You know why recently I've stopped bringing words into my prayer is because the moment... I start to bring words into my prayer. My brain turns on. And as soon as my brain turns on, my phone turns on. And then I'm done. Anybody else? You feel good about yourself. You checked off prayer. But it didn't do anything good for your heart. See, prayer, entering into a space to just slow. Don't say anything. Has the power to do so much to our minds and our hearts. I'm beginning to understand. You want to manage your reactions? Slow down in prayer. You you want to um, restore your energy? Slow down in prayer. You want to enter into any given moment and be fully present? Slow down in prayer. The primary function that prayer serves in my life these days is honestly a slowdown. And I'm telling you that when we carve out time just to push everything on pause, something beautiful can happen. 
It's not about the words that I say or the mantras that I repeat. It is truly just me slowing down and spending time with God. And here's what's been happening in my life. I've begun to see the things I couldn't see otherwise. For real. It is like magic. I can't believe that all the things that I have missed over these years could be accomplished by just carving out some time in the morning to stop and be. I mean, isn't this the nature, though, of prayer? If you look back at the way that the Talmud talks about prayer, this ancient document that Jews would have followed, it talks about prayer as a service of the heart. In other words, prayer was supposed to open up our hearts and make us vulnerable and help us see. Prayer has this way of revealing who we really are. It's almost like slowing down in prayer gets us out of survival mode just long enough so that we can actually survive. We're using a bunch of tricks to survive that actually are killing us. And if we slow down just enough to open ourselves up, we may see things we couldn't otherwise see. You know what I think about? I think about this kid's book. Now, I'm, I don't, my kids are getting older, but back in the day, there was this book called, um, did you ever see it, Where's Waldo? You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen a Where's Waldo book? Those are frustrating books, Right? Because if you sit down with the kid that's seen a Where's Waldo book, they're no fun. They know exactly where the, the dude is. And all it is is a little Waldo that's hidden in these like graphic portrayals of people in all these different places. They just pop them in and the goal is to find Waldo. That's it. My kid would be able to pick up a Waldo book, never have seen it before and go, oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. I hadn't even gotten started. And I started to think, I wonder if, slowing ourselves through prayer works in the same way that like his trained eye works with the Waldo book. I mean, the more time he spent with the Waldo book, the easier it became for him to identify Waldo. Like he could see him everywhere. Like that, like that, like that. And I began to think, this is what prayer does. I began to realize God is at work all the time. I just wasn't aware of it. And I'm starting to see it. See, so often we'll go, oh, he finally showed up. And I'm like, oh, no, he didn't show up. You did. Right? Like, he's always been walking with me, like going on a journey with me. I'm just so revved up and going all the time. I do not see him at work. Then I miss all the fruit he has for me. I'm like my 15-year-old this weekend. I love him. He's wonderful, but he's 15. And as we were off in Iowa City, one of the things that he, he's in his own world all the time. He's got headphones on and we were walking and I'm trying to walk with him. And every time I'd get close to him, it was like he naturally knew and he would slow down. And then I'd pass him and I'd try to come back with him and then he'd speed up. It was a constant game of chicken. 
And if you would have asked Harry, hey, was your dad with you yesterday? He would have had to think about it. I don't, I don't know if he was actually. I'm that kid with headphones on. So are you. Moving through life, speeding through one thing to the next, never pausing to recognize there is a God that is walking with us like all the time up to stuff all the time. And if we just would get into the practice of slowing through prayer, we may be able to see things that we've never seen before, both about the situations we're in and the people that we are. Look, I know you desire to be the person that you see in the mirror, but let me tell you, it doesn't happen on accident. If you hope for it to be something that will just happen, let me remind you, the default mind goes to fear. It goes to cravings, aversion, and self-centeredness. It takes work. But what I do know is that when we put in the work, we begin to put these tools in our tool belt and we begin to put ourselves in front of God into these moments. He will reveal truths about us, some that are painful, but all that are fixable through the cross. This is the great power of prayer. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 16, listen, pray in the spirit at all times, on every occasion. He says, no, just stay with it. Why? Because God's working everywhere. Just stay with it. Just stay with it. Now, now, the truth is, the idea of praying all the time sounds really challenging and hard. And so what I say is, then just start somewhere. As we journey through this, what would it look like if this week, if you just began to take this idea of slowing in prayer seriously? Five minutes. Five minutes this week where you wake up with no agenda, no prayer lists, nothing. And you just walk into a space and whatever anxious thoughts come across, identify them and let them float by. Whatever thoughts of self-centeredness come, I recognize and let them float by. Just let all of the nonsense float by and settle in with God. And let him put some new thinking in you some new ways in you. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. If you're hoping after five days, five days, five days, that somehow you'll miraculously, everything will be fixed. I'm sorry, it doesn't quite work that way. But what I can promise you is, is every time you take a step, God meets you there. And then you take another step and he meets you there. And what you find is years down the road, you look back and go, oh my gosh, I'm living life to the full. I'm, I'm doing it with him. You can do this. And we invite you as disciples of Jesus to take this prayer practice seriously because here's what Jesus promises. He said it right here. He says, so I say to you, ask. You want a new life, a new way, ask it will be given to you. He'll send away. Seek and you will find who you're to be. Knock and that door will be open. Amen? You know, um, I close with this. We're starting in just a few weeks uh, what we call a learning haven. 
And this is for those of us that really are beginning to say, hey, I want to learn how to follow Jesus. I want to learn how to pray. I want to learn how to read God's word. I I really want to live a new life. I, I can't encourage you more. Come out for five weeks for this Tuesday night class. It is foundational to following Jesus. And it's really simple. You can register through the sign up or on your way out. There's cards. You can grab a card, take it with you. Sign up. It starts in a few weeks. You'll be glad you did. Will you stand with me? We're going to close the way we opened, but in depth. I'm going to pray together the Lord's prayers, disciples, disciples of Jesus, this ancient way that we've all chosen to follow. We're going to repeat what our rabbi said to his disciples and to us. We pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. We have prayer down front. If you, if you want to know what am I reading this day around prayer, this is a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. I highly recommend it. Amen. All right. Go go in peace.